So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome back to the Bizzle's Daily Rebels here again with my guy, Simi Klimo. Hope you guys enjoyed the amazing two-part Sabine Ren epic Trials of the Dark Saber and Legacy of Mandalore. I released those one file. Here we are back to something that this show in season two and three does so well, which is episodes that seem kind of standalone at the time, but over time, as you see more of the show and go back and rewatch, you realize it's all you know important to stuff to come later. Now, Simi, um, well, first of all, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. This is not a standalone baloney Dave Filoni. This is, oh! this is real shit. Yes, that's some beat poet shit right there. Did you hear the thing about <laughs> John Boyega is talking about how J.J. Abrams beatboxes on set and he's like really good at it and, and Boyega awesome. like raps over it? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yep. Um, so Simi, so we are about to do through Imperial eyes, which is, I believe episode 16 from season three. And it's, it's literally from the first person perspective of agent Callus, who has now flipped. So I gave the sort of history of Sabine in the last episode. So why don't you tell us, I know it's been a while since you've seen some of these episodes, but I'm sure you remember Callus. You, you weren't, we, we never would think he would flip until the episode with Zeb. So if you can cast your mind back to now, he's straight up helping the rebels undercover. What was your view of Callus before he, he flip sides? Did it seem believable to you? And it does it more complicated once that happens. So I think, um, there is this amazing, I don't know about amazing common trait among shows in general where they want to see how bad of an ass and how shitty of a person they can create and make you hate them and then somehow figure out a way to make you love them Mm -hmm. um a la true blood a la all sorts of things no, you can't. There's some things you can't come back from. Like, if, if uh, <laughs> are you a True Blood person? No. Okay, then never mind. I'm not an HBO thing. person other than The Wire and killing their comedies. So, killing your father and killing my, you know, role model slash new. I'm, I'm sorry, I brought it up. Let's get let's get back to Callus okay. here. All right, all right, fine. So my bad. Uh, that's kind of what they did. He was one of my least, like, you know, same thing a la Gladiator when we were mm-hmm. talking about uh, with, with, with River Phoenix's character and how much, you know, I hated that character. And and then kudos to River Phoenix, or River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and that's what makes him a great actor, that I hated him so much in that movie. So I really hated him. 
I, I really thought he was like super evil and I thought he was like, you know, racist and all these other things. Um, and you know, they, Zeb, uh, gets him to change as they save each other from in a, in a weird, strange, uh, predicament they get, they get themselves in. And, and from that relationship from saving each other and, and respect for human life, it opened up a dialogue and, and in the end, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's a new ally that they've created from, you know, that wasn't so bad. So I thought they did a really good job with his character Mm -hmm. and the double agent and, you know, seeing the woe in his ways and, and that he could actually do something differently now and all, and all of that with the traditional story. So when did you find out that the voice of the very white callous was an English black man of African descent named David Oyelowo, who's been nominated for numerous Emmys and Golden Globes and was robbed not to be nominated playing Martin Luther King in Selma a couple of years back. He also played the first king uh, who's a hero of modern Botswana who had to fight the British crown to get independence for Botswana. Um, he's, you know, he's like Chadwick Boseman. He plays all these sorts of very high gravitas roles, but he can be complicated. So when did you find out that Callus looked and sounded and was nothing like Callus in real life, and then realizing that he was like a, a huge, uh, you know, nominated, uh, awarded actor like David Oyelowo. Well, first of all, I always assume the majority of voice actors are black uh, British people because that's pretty much what's happening with everybody. British people in general take all good roles, and they're incredible actors. And I think actually that's because of their. I think they're so versatile in general, black, white, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, just with the the influences of such a stronger stage. Um, lucky for me, I live in New York, and I've had access to uh, tons of shows I've seen. I've been to the Tony Awards. You know, I've done tons of things like that because I'm right here. But the rest of the world does not have quality stage acting. World, I mean country. The rest of the country does not have quality stage acting. They have tours of commercial shit that's fourth run and fine, great, super, but yep. it's not. So I think, you know, London and Britain and being as small as it is, um, you know, they, they can, they can go see so many, uh, amazing things and it, it's not so far away from wherever you're from. So, you know, it, you know, being around great art creates more great art. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's tremendous that they're, you know, you look at all the walking dead cast and they're all British and, uh, there's so many, I, I mean, I loved, you know, actually, I know this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but, you know, I was a little turned off that there weren't going to be any American actors in Harry Potter in, you know, 1999, or I guess it was 2003, maybe. Sorry. But because Rogue I wasn't... one had the same criticism. Right. So I, I thought maybe it would be shitty because, you know, I don't picture Harry Potter in British <laughs> acting, uh, like in British voices and stuff like that. But then you realized and, you were assuming Klimo had a clear mind and know that English actors are better than American actors across the board, and there's more well, good but ones. But that's the point. That's my point. It's, 2000, it's 2019, and right. in 2003, right. it was a relatively new thing. There were plenty of British actors doing you know, American uh, voices. Idris, but they Idris was one of the first. But that's my point. There yeah. weren't a ton. Like usually like you'd have this British character and he'd be hired more so for his accent right. versus, you know, him doing an accent. Right. So I think it's a, been a revolutionary over the past 15 years. Totally. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I think black people should do like, what does a black guy sound like? You know, it doesn't make sense. Like there are traditional ways, you know, like uh, stereotypical ways of how people imagine someone to sound like, but you know, people don't always sound like that. And, and mm-hmm. he's a tremendous actor. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous character. Um, you know, we, we were alluding to, yeah, go ahead. So the two people I want to put in the same orbit, we'll talk a little bit about black actors and voice actors, which is important for this episode because of callous and then we'll get into it guys. But I loved everything you're saying. Uh, the two I would put there are Chadwick Boseman, who is American, obviously, and Idris Elba. Um, who, you know, has more even of like an African accent than David Oyelowo, who really just sounds British in real life. I mean, David Oyelowo, dude, you cannot hear callous in his voice, uh, whether he's playing an African or a black American or something in between. Callous sounds completely different from, from which is why I was shocked when I found that it was David Oyelowo. I was like, no, he sounds too much like a white guy with a stick up his ass. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not indeed the case, but I love what you're bringing up about that. Sammy, I listen to a lot of commentaries. I do even more and I watch tons of movies and I watch the good TV shows and English people for, for the most part for white, especially white English people ha- have more trouble than the Australians for some reason. I mean, even South Africans at nailing American accents. There's a lot of try hard with young English actors on like the Punisher, all the defender series. I mean, Jessica Henwick and Finn Jones as Colleen and Danny and Iron Fist, like they're starting to nail it after three seasons of television, but you still can tell they're not Americans the way they talk. Australians can name it. Everyone from Hemsworth to, um, to, uh, speaking of Gladiator to, um, Russell Crowe to Hugh Jackman. I mean, Hugh Jackman as Logan is flawless. You totally forget he's Australian, but I agree with you. The black uh, UK actors can nail it. Or, I mean, dude, let's be honest. Let's be honest. The fact that Stringer Bell, played by Idris Elba, is considered like one of the great television characters of all time, and we all acknowledge that his accent was shit, just shows you how brilliant the performance was. You know what I mean? And you know what? You know what? Let me say another thing. Um, oh, no. Well, let, me come, let me just okay, cap off my thought real quick, and I'll throw it yeah, to you. Yeah, go ahead. Which is, who's the only person putting on an... Um, sorry. Who's the... In the new Star Wars movies, who's the only main character who's not American who's putting on an American accent and doing a great job? That would be John Boyega, another UK actor of, of direct African uh, uh, descent. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I really loved Idris Elba's uh, accent in Thor, which is... It's not entirely British. You know, it says Guardian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... I really loved what he, what he did with that. And then I, I think you're forgetting another, you know, really cool British actor that we've both been talking about a lot, Ben the Cumberbatch. And what yeah, I really Dr. like about Strange, Benedict, Dude, this is part of the reason we might not be able to do Strange, is I cannot stand Cumberbatch's bad accent in the first Strange. He's nailed it now. He nailed it for Infinity War, but it's painfully bad New York accent in the first movie. Oh, I... Oh. I don't think it's horrible, but I was actually going to say, as someone who saw all yeah, of I'm not throwing shade. The, this is based on other people I've talked to, too. It's very obvious that he's not comfortable at that point with the American accent. But again, a lot of young, white, brilliant British actors, like Eddie Redmayne, still hasn't done an uh, American role, even though he could, because he's probably having trouble with it. Alicia Vikander's had difficulty with it. Um, and there, it there's tons of examples. 
I felt I didn't think he was doing a New York accent. To me, I felt he was. No, doing he wasn't. He was trying to, but he wasn't. He was doing like a prep school. Anyways, go ahead. Accent. Cumberbatch like, is great. Anyway, yeah, he nailed it by great, Infinity but I really, War. I really, I really like how I know how he sound. I know his regular voice very well from mm-hmm. seeing all of all of Sherlock Holmes, and then seeing him do a role, yes. like uh, or Smog. I mean, he's also did, Smog. Did you know that he did <laughs> motion capture for Smog? Yeah, I totally didn't realize because Alan Tudyk was talking about it in his panel. Um, you know, he had his own panel, which was great at Star Wars Celebration. Dude, can you just imagine Tudyk? Because he, of course, knew about K two months ago that they would wait mm-hmm. for him to get to Star Wars Celebration, announce it, have the whole weekend be a party for him, who hasn't got nearly enough roles in his career, and then have his own panel. Uh, it, it was it was great, but he talked about loving what what Cumberbatch did with Smaug, and I was like, I had no clue that was even a thing. And by the way, dude, to yeah, your point, no, I, I, and then we should get into this, my favorite Cumberbatch role is still Khan, even though Star Trek Into Darkness has so many problems, the lead characters, the big three, Kirk, Ahura, and Spock, and Cumberbatch as Khan are great in that movie. And for me, that makes it rewatchable enough because of those actors. He's so scary in jail. He's like Hannibal Lecter, right? Super scary behind bars. But Simi... The con accent he does was to imitate the what's his name, the famous character actor who played the original con. He wasn't speaking like his normal like London accent, right. you know what I mean? So there's lots of places in between. But my point about this, and then we should move on. It, but the accent thing is important because a yellow nails a character who looks, sounds, and is nothing like him, which is very unusual. And it's interesting that he agreed to this. Man, we talked about oh they brought Forrest back, they got Ian McDermott back, they got Frank Oz back. They, dude, they had oh yellow the whole time. He played Martin Luther King in Selma, which might have won Best Picture that year and a different year, you know? Um, like, he's fucking legit. But really quickly, I think the English actors are getting better and better at it as they hear p- that people do it. What they realize is they shouldn't be going for a, a New York accent or a Southern accent unless it really calls for a Southern accent. They should be trying to, like, get the sort of average American uh, but educated accent that you and I talk with. Like, I don't sound particularly Philly, according to other people, and you definitely do not sound Midwest. And, you know, Jessica, among many Midwest friends, sounds super Midwest. You don't sound super, you know what I mean? I, I don't know what to call that. For some reason, well, my, the Australians... It's, it's and, called and, upbringing. My, yeah. my father made fun of my Midwest accent as a child, so I... So I, he shamed and you I'm into talking in, like this? Well, <clears throat> he would correct my English constantly. Sorry, that was inappropriate. So... That's one. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, he would correct my English constantly. Uh, and then just the way we would, how we would use dialect and stuff, he'd kind of laugh at a little bit, not condescendingly. He just sure. thought it was funny. And then I've also, I've been in sales with a strong component of uh, phone sales for quite, for, you know, over 12 years. So, sure. To have a generic accent, and I, I do a chameleon accent too. Like I can, hmm. I can talk to people from the south and put a twang in my accent, just ever so slightly. And and sometimes it's not even on purpose. It's just from chatting with someone for a while. And then the same thing with the New York accent. I can, I can bring it in. I can twang it if I want. You know, I can, I can do certain things to I make can't, it one I way. Can't. Or another, and it's not on purpose. It's usually just yeah. to chameleon because when you're in sales, you you want to you want to appeal to people, and you just you know you just start it just start you start driving with what they they set a tone, yeah. 
yeah. then you you take it and and run with it the best you can. Yep. So and dude, like for example, like I don't swear in front of customers right. most of the time unless That's a customer. A that's a good Unless policy. I basically can feel it out that right. they're like, you know. Can I throw something it, into this and we really got to count it in is yeah. don't discount camp, man. I mean, especially when we got to TY, you know, like I had a I had a girlfriend from the South who when, like whenever she first came to camp. Oh, yeah. It was we had so Jessica thick. Yeah, sure. She's one of Jessica's friends, Rachel. Uh, I'm, you probably know who she is. Um, uh, she, she like I couldn't even understand her, but she talks about how after a few days, then she would call her friends at home, and they were like, "You don't sound like us anymore." What what happened? So I think there's you know us having Americans, Canadians, Mexicans, British, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. Also contribute to right. that. So I wanted to shine the light on David Oyelowo. He's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actor. With him and Chadwick Boseman on two sides of the seat. Dude, him and Roseman Pike, amazing small indie, but huge story, the true story of Botswana and how he was the, the king, but he wanted a democracy and he wanted England to give him independence called A United Kingdom. Excellent movie with him from two years ago. Also with Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Queen of Katwe, also a Disney movie that takes place in a very poor, uh, it's a true story, it takes place in one of the poorest slums in the world. It's in Kenya and he's um, a minister, but he's doing outreach and, and Lupita's daughter who, you know, they barely can feed each other, loves chess and becomes obsessed with chess. And in the real world, this girl from the, the shit in uh in kenya ended up being the, the runner up for her age in the world and they were like in russia and the u.s and all over the place competing eventually he just coached them lupita didn't trust it uh it's it's a really really great family movie that works on a lot of levels and totally captures africa as well and dude i'll just say look who was t'challa he's an american right Forrest whitaker right. american angela bassett american Letitia wright I don't know. Where's Letitia Wright from? But then you have a lot of actresses who are African-American. The director's African-American. You have actresses and actors who, who are African. So basically what I'm saying is, yes, it's great. All the amazing black talent out there of all nationalities, but getting to play all sorts British. of nationalities as well. Letitia Wright is Guyanese born British actress. Okay. I thought, I thought she had an accent. Yeah. Shuri, she's man, so, they're, they're, dude, the only so thing we, the only reason we haven't heard from Shuri uh, is dude, why are you like bringing this up and you don't want to, dude, you're like baiting me. Stop it. All right, go. <laughs> All I was going to say was she's they, like one of my favorite decide, characters. They can't Dang. decide in Disney whether they want to do a full movie or a TV show. That's the only reason they haven't announced the Shuri thing. If they knew they were doing the TV show, they wouldn't have announced it already. Or they knew the movie. I think they're having trouble deciding. Like maybe instead of the Black Widow movie, again, don't say anything, or, or one of these other projects, we throw you know a hundred million at Shori and a bunch of other Black Panther characters. Eventually, yeah, she's amazing. So, well, you um, know what's interesting about her character, and, and I'm not going to talk about anything new. I'm just going to talk about like who she is. So, a, a lot of like what's lost in some of these superhero movies is like that these people are like not only know how to shoot and fight and wield sabers and shit like that and our generals and armies, they're also scientists. Like, they're fucking, you know, astronauts. You know? Like, yes, space travel is not as complex as it is now. But at some level, maybe it's more complex. You know what I mean? Like, they always talk about, 
there's a great scene where uh, Cassian and K2, and he's like, I haven't finished my calculations. And he's like, I'll fucking do them for That's you. That's great. It's such a badass you know line. I mean? Yeah. And then, and then, like, there's, like, definite, like, talking about, like, how they were able to do the castle run in such a short amount of time in solo Dude, and in general, yeah. uh, why it's so hard of a feat yeah. because and they actually explain in solo yeah. like why doing the castle run right. in such a short amount of time is such an incredible right. feat. Right. It's because of the irregularities. So in other words, like they're not saying that like instinctually that like he can fly a plane really well, which is again, I'm not, knocking a fucking pilot that is difficult too but they're an astronaut they're able to project all the ongoing terrain weather uh asteroids everything that's going on in space and set into a like i mean they're scientists so the cool part about her character back to what i was saying is she can fight she's funny she's charismatic she's attractive and she's a fucking ingenious scientist in the in Endgame or not in Endgame in um sorry 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 in the other movie the pre- oh right she talks about how cute she, Mark, the Mark Ruffalo ah, is like so nice try I'm sure you she's tried she's the smartest scientist in yeah. the room like okay. they're like the sorry, talking, I got us here I screwed up I shouldn't have mentioned yeah, no sorry up and I'm gonna finish it and then we can move on but she's saying you know you know why didn't you guys just do this and they're like oh we didn't think about it it's like because she's fucking smarter. I'm done. Okay. Go. I'm pulling a bizzle here because you brought up Cassini K2, and this will be the final point, and then we'll count you guys into this really innovative, actually, and gra- I think groundbreaking in terms of what Rebels was doing episode. Uh, and Sammy, just to tease it, and that final casting point will count us in. Filoni wanted to do this entire episode first person, and we'd never see Catalyst except when he looked in the mirror, but they said they just couldn't pull it off in this format. So it'll be interesting to think uh, what that might have been like. Really quickly, though, man, it's... It's not a coincidence that they cast a Latin American, strong Latin American personality as Cassian, and it's not a coincidence they're doing it again. He's Chilean, Pedro Pascal, as the lead in Mandalorian, with such a badass woman next to him. Is With Cassian, you needed a man who could be incredibly manly and sexy, as he is in real life as well, but also very emotional and sensitive, which is a great quality of people from across, outside of, of, of Northern Europe and America, basically. People show their feelings a lot more. Um, and with Jin, you know, being so cold at times and being sort of like Leia, being like kind of the dude in that relationship, you know what I mean? They had to compliment each other. It couldn't have been Chris Pratt or Tony Stark. You know, that would have never worked with Jin or so. Um, and so, I, you know, it's what I, I like is did, did Diogo Luna deserve that role regardless of where he was? Absolutely. Did it work extra well with him being sort of a dark but ultimately good resistance guy, a rebellion guy, with him being from Mexico and identifying so strongly? Sure. I think that's great. All right. Ready? I'm ready when you are. Thank you, Simi. This has been great as always, and we'll uh, won't have a ton of time afterwards, but we'll uh, we'll give the Bizzlecast listeners as much we can. So here comes the countdown, Agent Callus. Here we go. Three, two, one, and hit play. One, two, three, four, five. All right, baby. This is like very. I just woke up. I don't know where I am. So, it not only surprised me, dude, how close they brought Star Wars Rebels into Rogue One mythology and characters, but the 
fact that Rebels ended up with a similar tone to Rogue One being a Disney show, I, I did not expect. Look at this. He's so miserable. Ever since he made friends with Zeb and saw how great the Rebels were, he's been miserable. Yeah. I would be too because he's, you know, living a lie. Every day he could be found out. So again, to me, I, I don't envy his role. This guy's on Critical Role, Liam O'Brien. He's a career, does tons of voice performances. Does he do more than one character? Oh, yeah. All the, all the big guys there. Um, Simi, so it's not until this episode that Thrawn outwardly says at the end of this episode, I know who Fulcrum is, and it's Agent Callus, and he's a traitor. But when you rewatch this this season, it's all over Thrawn's face that he knows it. So you can respond to that later when you get to Thrawn if you want. Here we go. Jabba, a.k.a. Um, Lando Calrissian, a.k.a. Ezra Bridger. Oh, my God. It's great. All right. He's acting as a bad actor in the role. For a kid to pull this off, Ezra is such an underrated character in terms of level of difficulty, I think. I think they do a good job. I think he does a good job in general. But Kanan is the best teacher, dude. Better than Obi-Wan, better than Anakin, better than Yoda. If you look at all the, the masters, the Padawans, in the end, Kanan is the best. Kanan... <laughs> Kanan is the best because he lacks the narcissism that a traditional Jedi would have because he, you know, raised his Jedi Padawan in the apocalypse. That's great. So, Andrew Callis, again, back to accents and actors, he's talking in what they call mid-Atlantic, which is like a fusion of like sort of high American and and English accent. (laughs) This is important, though, man. This is all about trust. This whole episode's about trust. I, I don't, I don't understand like why they didn't tell him he was going. <laughs> yeah, this is what's great about the episode, Timmy. Is oh, he man. should come with them, but he doesn't realize how much Theron knows. It's it's a great arc in this episode. Let's put it this way. If he knew that Thrawn even suspected him for being Fulcrum, he would take this offer and leave at the end, but he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he heard him coming. It's so great. This is the one where Ezra Force throws him, and Kanan's like, Ezra, I wanted to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love Freddie Prince. He's brilliant. He is like... The voice, I keep listening to the voice, like, ever mm-hmm. since you were, like, emphasizing. Mm-hmm. He sounds also familiar. Mm-hmm. Can I point something out? <clears throat> How many yes. members of the Ghost crew? There's six, if you include Chopper, right? The original right. six in Star Wars, Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, and the two droids. The Rogue One main crew is also six. And while Firefly has nine, Summer Glau and her brother Simon and Inara are, are not full-time crew members. So the full-time Firefly crew, also six. I guess that's the number, that's right? That's the number. It, it's enough to have lots of ways to go, but not too many that you start... I mean, you know, they even made Bodhi Rook's story work. A lot of people love Bodhi from Rogue One. That could have been a nothing character. That's true. I also think it's a good balance in uh, in rebels in general. Mm-hmm. 
What I love about this is Callus has already put together that he needs to screw over this lieutenant to save himself, but he does feel bad about it, which is already growth from old Callus. Exactly. That like he has so much more overall what's the word? Just respect for humans, you know, and like he's like, I'm gonna get you killed and like I'm sorry, dude. Even though you're a douche. I think his hair and mutton giant mutton chops is a, is a tribute to um, Clone Wars, where the beards and hair are so distinct. I like it. Okay, so Simi, like it. Simi, I, really quickly, Wolverine. really quickly. There's so many things about Rebels that grew on me over time, even before the Clone Wars. Me seeing it, like Rex, I liked, and then went back and loved him even more. Look how fat he is, that. Um, but dude, AP five was so annoying the first one or two times I saw any episodes with him, and now I love AP five. I can't get enough of Steven Stan. It's so funny. They, I love all the fucking clones. Is it the same? It's the same. Uh, it's Bradley Baker. That, that's why dude, right. the panel for Clone Wars was Filoni, Eckstein, D. Bradley Baker, and Sam Witwer. So while while Matt Lanter is Anakin and Cat Tabor is Padme, they're going to be in episodes. At least six of the twelve episodes is going to be mostly Ahsoka, the clones, and Maul. Straight up. Nice. Ahsoka, the clones, and Maul. Witwer, D. Bradley and Baker, and Ashley Special Eckstein. crew. Right. 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 Oh god, it's so worth watching the panel, dude. She makes fun of Filoni smartly the whole time, and he's just like so red faced and embarrassed. It's it's great. They really love each other as a family. That's what Star Wars does, dude. JJ and Ryan Johnson made this cast a family. They got the Rogue One cast to be a real family. The people who do the voice performances are like a family. It's amazing. Yeah. No, they did a great job in this. Yeah. They really did. The whole, the whole I thing mean, is... Taylor Gray has said, post-Rebels ending, that Freddie Prince was literally his master and he was the Padawan in real life. And he was just so happy to go to work every day and to hear wisdom from, from Freddie. Hey, man, look, after watching Clone Wars Uh-oh. and appreciating that I can like go... F- into actual cartoons and watch them as actual movies like this was just more crack and he is a great character in general uh thought as we're gonna get into is pretty great did you read the classic heir to the empire thrawn novels in the 90s or any of the newer thrawn books they're about to release the third one with the same author timothy zahn they're pretty good I believe I read the first one. The second of the new ones, the most recent one to come out, it, it, he actually runs across Anakin Skywalker, and it's very interesting. Mm. Pre, pre Vader Anakin. Yes! You are it. I love this! This is such a great story for Callus, man. I... I mean, uh, considering how planned out the four seasons of Rebels seems, it seems like they were always planning on this happening, right? And I think it was Filoni, it was just a matter of, when do I flip him to the good guys, and then how do I set up Thrawn knowing that, b- before he knows that Thrawn knows, if that makes sense, right? What is Thrawn? He, I mean, he's such a great character. He's, he's from he, outside he the might- galaxy. He's the only ca- character, or even major or minor character ever in Star Wars, old canon and new canon, or sorry, new canon, that we know is from outside the galaxy. He specifically came here seeking something we still don't know. Wow. But it's essentially the same character from the award-winning data. He's essentially the same character from the award-winning Zon books from the '90s that they adapted. um, In terms of, he really 
he doesn't know what to do with Vader, but Emperor, the Emperor and his lackeys and the whole Death Star thing, he hates. He thinks they should be investing in you know, advanced Star Destroyers and TIE Defenders. And you know what, dude? If Thrawn had his way, the Empire would win the war. He's so much smarter from a conquering standpoint than anyone Palpatine has. And that's why Palpatine does what he does in canon, and that's why Palpatine's coming back in Episode Nine. but to me, that lore is going to have to wait for now because we don't have a lot of time. But let's just say if, if they spent the money on TIE Defenders and, and uh, Super Star destroyers instead of the death star it would be very very hard on the rebels historically speaking yeah no he always seems to have the upper hand and like overthinks everything and then well spoiler they barely get him in the end like barely Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like a couple simple twists of fate in another direction and they wouldn't have won you know luckily the force was on their side God, the beard is so interesting. Yeah. It's like no mustache and no goatee. It's, it's a and negative he's got goatee. the helmet that looks like a Gondorian helmet that goes right over his chops. You know about Hot Callus, right? I mean, he's a major uh, male waifu for, for the ladies, is Callus. Oh, is he? Yeah. I mean, if we got a soak in Sabine, he's definitely, for, for the, the hetero ladies, love Hot Callus. Hashtag Hot Callus. That's funny. But also, like Oscar Isaac and John Boyega, who are deservedly sex symbols, uh, him and Zeb being maybe romantic is very much, you know, loved by a lot of fans, even if it's totally hypothetical. Price is a spy. I brought up Price in the last podcast, didn't I? She's so great. She's like a sexy older imperial lady. Does she in turn, um, or like um, Ahsoka? Look how hot she is. she looks like um, uh, Emma Thompson or something. Hot older lady. When who is the commander that uh, Jin Erso has to make the poker chips for? In the book. In the book. Oh God! Was that I, I'm, I'm in my middle of my reread right now. I, I haven't hit that. Uh, I was trying to think who that was. So Ezra Bridger kind of looking Middle Eastern, having the name Ezra, last name Bridger. Let's put it this way. Ezra could be a Muslim name or a Jewish name. Bridger sounds like a Jewish name, but his parents... Right, totally. But, but his, brand, her parent, his parents, when we see them in the pictures, are clearly Middle Eastern. So do you think Bridger is more the bridge, the symbolism of him being the bridge, being sort of in the... Uh, in the gray without even trying without even knowing it the way ahsoka is the bridge and that's why they're in the literal bridge episode of world between worlds together with palpatine which is another reason why Ahsoka's going to be in episode nine but you know what i'm saying um this might be a self-fulfilling prophecy but i believe i thought he was jewish his mother and father both i believe have uh kind of jewish names they do. Or, they do. or by Jewish, I yeah. mean old biblical names. I guess what I'm saying is they look like they're from Yemen. I don't know what religion they are. It could be any. That's the whole point. It's complicated. You and I know that. People don't realize it. You know, Middle Eastern Jews look like Arabs. Right. Sephardics or in general, right. No, no sure. Mizrahis. Mizrahis. Look- yeah. Or they look black, kind of, you know? Or I mean, you've like, seen my uh, pictures with my Yemenite, Yemenite family. I mean, they look Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. They're so dark. Right, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, they're dark. They are African. <laughs> I mean, technically. So, I have to say, dude, Thrawn... Do you know who voices Thrawn, by the way? 
No. Oh, I did. The brother. Uh, the brother. The brother of Mads Mikkelsen, aka Galen Urso, Lars Mikkelsen. But he did not get it because of Mads. This was actually filmed, man, and animated a long time before Rogue One. They wait like a year on this stuff before they release it. They said they went through over a hundred Thrawn voices, and Lars was just the best. Um, and he turns mustache twirling into something I love in, in this season and next season, which normally I get tired of very quickly. But because he treats every defeat as a lesson to learn about the Rebels and how they operate is absolutely brilliant. I don't know why people don't do that more in movies. He turned every defeat into a victory for himself, which is great. I love the way. Oh, that's amazing. The close-ups on the hand. Dude, the clip with Ahsoka on the hover cycle, and then she's running around the side of the that giant thing like she's in the Matrix is spectacular. It's the Ahsoka show. Cool. It's literally the Ahsoka show. <laughs> Ahsoka Tano fighting Sith and other bad guys. <laughs> That's like such the eighty version yeah, of totally. like what it would be like. Yeah. Ahsoka. I love it. These guys are buddies. Dude, the the Lost Commanders, when they first run across the clones and, and Kanan instinctively just wants to murder them, especially after they sell them out by accident, it, it's just great. That's one of those amazing clone ep- early clone episodes in the series. Chopper as a as an Imperial droid looks fucking scary and, like, not cool. Like, it's funny how, like, just a few colors and design can mm-hmm. change it. Like, he looks evil, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and they do a good job of these little things. Ezra looks, I don't know, just in general, these Imperial outfits are just fucking scary, you know? I, I do love the starkness of it all. And that's why Sabine is the anti-Clone um, Wars character, because she wears purples and greens and oranges, which aren't primary colors and aren't black and white, which tends to be what both sides wear. Um, it, it's interesting. I guess rebels usually wear earth tones. Actually, Dawn is so fucking scary, though. In reality, this was a great plan by Callus. But to think he was going to get this by Thrawn shows his weakness. And the biggest problem is there's not enough Callus in season four. He's not made to really deal with all the horribleness he did. They just accept him in the rebellion because they need him, and he doesn't really do anything. But it's just because David Oyelowo is an Academy Award level actor who's really busy, and it wasn't necessary. He's great in this season. There's oh, there's Sabine's picture. He loves collecting art. He's got he's got stuff from Ryloth from the Sindulas. He's got Sabine stuff. He studies their art. Stuff. He right. studies Ryloth, their culture. Sindula, Dude, Harris, he's Sindula. the guy that's smarter than Hitler and Stalin because he actually studies the people that he's trying to oppress. This is so fucked up. So his race is called the Chist, and you can look it up on Wikipedia. I don't know Doesn't if him being he, a great fighter was part of the original version of Thrawn, but having him be physically awesome in addition to mentally awesome makes it more awesome. <laughs> Hurry. Ooh, the tension's killing me. Duck! List. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dude, you, you got to watch Warhead, though, which came between the ones we did, where they they send the murder bot droid to the base, and Zeb's in charge, and he's only got Chopper and AP-5, and they have to put it together that the thing is going to blow up the base and kill everybody, uh, and then they shoot it back at the Imperials, and it blows up a Star Destroyer. It's great. But Thrawn uses that to help trace them. He's so close to Gorel, he's ready to invade. He knows he can trust you, Lauren. He, exactly he can't trust anyone going else. On. You're going to see at the end, by the way, that even though Price does soar loyalty to him, he is mostly loyal. Price is not in the room when he talks to you, Lauren, about who's the actual traitor. Right, because he's not entirely sure. He's narrowed it down, I think. No, he knows now. I mean, that's that's what the end of this episode is all about. Well, right, right, maybe. Right. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see the interpretation. Don't you love the the the, the imperial grunts? They have the hat over the eyes, so you don't even see the eyes. It's like it's like those shaggy dogs, you know. And you're like, how can those dogs see with all that like shaggy fur in front of their eyes? You know. What I mean? Oh, I always think about a lot of the uniforms as having blinders <laughs> and being metaphoric that like they're not looking, like they're just yeah. fucking you know worker bees that just are just like manipulated and pointed in like different directions, you know. Hmm. Uh oh! Shoot him! <laughs> oh no! He's shooting to kill. Does she? Does she semi-reference your little short to be a stormtrooper, but saying like you're a little fat to be a stormtrooper or something like that? Nope. Gotcha. Sorry. Have you well, watched the original trilogy recently? I watched uh, Jedi the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most recent thing I've been doing solo a little bit more and really, I mean, I've been catching up on Avengers just for the new movie. So that's been taking up my time Mm -hmm. the last two weeks, but, um, that was a cool fight. mm. She's the trainer. Yeah. The thing, the problem with rebels is because even though they can do mature themes and violence and death, complicated plots are hard to pull off with family audiences with a 20 minute show once a week. Here it is. He's yeah. an idiot. He's, oh, this is such a bad idea. They, and now they really have to save his butt. But you know yeah. what, Timmy? This proves his loyalty. Now, they. this is why they trust him at the end of the season when they finally get him. Yeah, but it was an ill-conceived plan. Very ill-conceived. He way underestimates Thrawn and Thrawn stews uh-huh. in that. This whole yeah, thing is like Baltar. I mean, Do you remember when the real six appears in the beginning of season one mm-hmm. uh, in Baltar and accuses him of treason or whatever? He's not even sure if she's really there. <laughs> Here we go. So smart. Right. But stupid at the same time. It's it's smart to do it because, I mean, that's what a CIA agent does. Like, mm-hmm. he gets assets, he builds assets, he keeps, you know, keeps working and keeps working and keeps working. Um, but you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter. Like if if you make the wrong, if the one wrong move, like he, he got, he, what he thought was he got a bunch of great information and he made a split second decision instead of thinking that maybe it was a trap. Mm -hmm. It's a trap. And by the way, dude, there's a lot of, you know, Callus is being overly congenial and nice to throw on and that's the wrong way to do a con. The whole point of pulling a con is to convince them so much that they would never even consider that you're pulling a con. Callus keeps giving him reasons to suspect. Here it comes, Timmy. Here it is. Thrawn knows 100%. Here it comes. 
Right. And turn up the volume. Mm-hmm. Sure. By the way, the guy who does you learn is the previously on Clone Wars who died against Skywalker. Da, da, da. That guy. Oh, nope, here comes the art artwork. Yep, Loth Cat. I love they go to Lothal at the end, man. <sighs> art, art. I mean, art is a big part of Rebels. I mean, Sabine hates her dad because he's such an art snob. I love that in season four. Here it is, the sign of the phoenix. So, Simi, how do you explain in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago the sign of the phoenix? That seems a little uh, bit of a stretch. But, it, hey, it's been there from the beginning, right? Yeah. That's been the rebel sign since New Hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, if you watch this, I mean, you go to the end of the season and you start over and rewatch season three, I think he knows almost from the beginning that Callus is Fulcrum, the way he talks about it. He may have suspected it long before. No, but you're right. You're right. He's too much of a scientist. He's too much of a scientist to jump to conclusions, and now he's put it all together. I, I agree with you. <clears throat> he's just placing it all together based on all this information. This is a great episode. This is exactly the kind of episodes I love with the Rebels that seem standalone, but and then the few, final few minutes, you're like, oh no, this has tons of implications for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just filler. And it's also a big Thrawn episode. I, I would argue that even the few bad episodes, that was great. I would argue that even the few quote-unquote bad or not great Rebels episodes, of which I think there are only like three to five personally, uh-huh. um, are still not filler because it does huge amount of character and or world building work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, absolutely. It's not yeah. just filler. And, and dude, I, I think the greatest argument for attack of the clones, no one ever uses, which is if you look at attack of the clones as mostly a character study with some adventure and action thrown in, you may not think like the way I don't think that's done particularly well, but of the three original, mo- uh, three prequel movies, Attack of the Clones is trying to be that Empire Strikes Back middle character study, the way Ryan Johnson. Uh, dude, let's put it this way. It's interesting that Empire is loved by so many people, uh, fans and non-fans, but the middle movies of the other two trilogies are the most uh, uh, controversial, right? Last Jedi yeah. and Attack of the Clones. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, dude. Let's talk a little um, Empire, Thrawn, Callus, and we'll sign out here. So, uh, I mean, I think we're in agreement that Callus flipping sides was probably planned from the beginning at some level. It clearly makes him more complicated. But I just love the writing of this episode. And, dude, I, I think I said this in Ghost of Geonosis. One thing they improved between the time of Clone Wars and Rebels was facial animations, whether they're humans or aliens, right? I mean... What we get on Kanan, Ezra, Sabine's face in the episodes we just watched, right? I mean, more expression, more detail, sure. I mean, I haven't watched enough of Pixar movies in the last 10 years to be able to compare it, but that's why I don't really look at these as an animated series. To me, this is like between a normal drama and a video game more than a cartoon, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think there's a lot going on. I mean, it's definitely not for, like, little kids. Like, there's some, like, hard issues that they're talking about, and there's some violence. And like I, like I keep always saying, if you let your brain kind of fall into it, uh, it's just as good as any other TV mm-hmm. show. So the next episode is Secret Cargo, where we're introduced to Genevieve O'Reilly's Mon Mothma, which is great, but it's actually more about 
uh, Ezra's first major mission as one of the lead pilots and him having to prove himself to the other pilots, which he does, of course, and is not only not mad about it, but he's so humble, you know, Ezra's so matured and advanced at this point. Um, And then there's a droid episode with Chopper and AP-5 that I'm going to do solo, maybe tonight, actually. Um, But then, dude, Twin Suns, man. Twin Suns and Zero Hour Part 1 and 2. And I think the biggest problem with Season 3, as it regards the entire series and leading to Season 4, is they needed to have an epic Thrawn battle at the end of this season, but it couldn't be too epic because they had to have it again at the end of Season 4, right? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're building. It's building. You know, it's they're building this these worlds and they're building everything that they're doing and they're doing a really great job of it. I I think all these characters are linking all these other worlds with such strong uh, Mm storylines that uh, it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. You know, they serve. It serves its purpose as the catalyst for all these other things. At some level, they pointed to. They had to sit there and point to the numbers and ratings uh, of rebels and, and the enthusiasm. Of, of the of the base and everything else and say look what this is doing look what we've been able to do with these new characters these new worlds there's not this there isn't that but there is this and uh what else can we do mm-hmm. you know so can, 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 can i talk about that side of the business and then we'll close out now that mm-hmm. we're doing rebels which is simmy Without Rebels doing much better than was being reported, and without Clone Wars doing so epically amazing on, on Netflix the last five years, there's no way they would have, green, even Kathleen Kennedy would have greenlit a humongous budgeted 12-episode Clone Wars Returns season. It wouldn't have happened. And so the predictions that you and I have been making since we started this podcast that people watch this in non-traditional manners on their phone, on their iPads, via apps, you know, they're not even DVRing it at this point. They're watching it via the app and they have all the information being with the app. And that's why Disney Plus on top of everything else is so brilliant is they're going to be able to have all the numbers on who's watching what, when, what age, how many people. But I'm telling you, man, unless Rebels did much better than the like traditional TV ratings, there's no way they would have done a reboot of, of the Clone Wars unless this is Kathleen Kennedy being even more of a golden goddess and just wanting the fans, the hardcore fans to be happy in the meantime while they reset everything which is very feasible that that's part of her uh, judgment but um, but the fact that she loves Filoni dude I mean she literally on the Mandalorian stage so you know Favreau and Filoni ran it they didn't have like a traditional interviewer and they called the cast out at some point but it's mostly Favreau and, and Filoni just rapping but Kathleen you know came out at the beginning she praised John Favreau great director blah 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 and then she referred to Filoni as a rock star quote unquote so <laughs> she understands how great he is that's why he's working on the Clone Wars and the anim- other animated series and the Mandalorian as a co-executive producer he, and he said he, the, he, he was asked about the epic nature of the clips we've seen from the Clone Wars and he said you know he's learning so much working with someone like John who did you know Avengers basically with Iron Man let's be honest and now he's working that back into what he calls shooting the animated series and so that's why it looks so epic and awesome um, and so yeah dude these were three great episodes we got to do um, and then Twin Sons and, and the finale but I'm especially excited to get to season four with you because all of the episodes are great there's tons of double episodes at the beginning and then they just go full you know seven eight nine episode arc to, to, to end the series so um final thoughts about the episodes we did tonight or just the series in general or whatever um you know i, I just 
all the stuff with Maul and even these episodes were hinting at like Maul's lurking presence in these episodes. Um, you know about how like did you win the did you win the sword from Maul right. and all that? I know we were just doing it before, but all these different ones that are lurking, it's all getting to the bigger picture. And I, I just think they did a great job. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a real tremendous series and they, they build on each of the characters so well here and there and everywhere. So they take proper time to do those things. Um, and overall it's just really impressive. So my question on this topic, have you watched or been watching or seen any of star Wars resistance? Um, the, the cartoon, mm-hmm. I started it. I fell off. I yeah. should, I should go back and get the it. The animation I mean, style really, is great. That's like how Genlock is animated, it, but it's so for kids, obviously. It's very childish. It's very childish. Yeah. And uh, uh, by the way, I've read all the Poe comics. I literally do not need any more stories about pre Force Awakens because it's not that interesting. And you know what, Simi? Do you know what the most interesting pre Force Awakens thing is? And I know you're going to agree is... Bloodline, starring Princess Leia, five years before the yeah, Force Awakens. Yeah, that that's a great book. Um, oh, the final final thought is I started reading Master and Apprentice, man. I've got the hardback. I'm probably going to actually go read now a little bit of it. Um, and the new Thrawn's coming out. They just released a Count Dooku book, a, a Jedi something, which they, it's supposed to be um, actually excellent. And they have a full cast. Read it. It's not a super long book. It's like a six-hour audio book, but they have like a bunch of different people do it. Um, have you been reading any Star Wars comic books or books or otherwise? Or once you're looking at the Padme's pretty good, man. I, I would If you like E.K. Johnston's Ahsoka book, then you'll like E.K. Johnson's Padme book for the most part. Oh, I, I finished that. Yeah, I oh. did the Padme book. Okay. And I did, I just finished all the magician books and I'm, I'm reading or I'm doing, uh, what is it? Um, oh, you mean Magician, uh, the TV series. I thought you were talking yeah, about yeah. my guy Feist at first because this book's called Magician, but you're talking about The no, Magicians. No, no, no. Yeah. The Magicians. I just finished the series and then I'm doing a Discovery of Witches right now. Mm-hmm. Which is not good, but I'm for some reason I can't put it down. I don't know. It's very well written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a woman author, Deborah Harkness. It's a new TV series sure. on Sci-Fi or see on Sci-Fi or AMC, and it's good. It's interesting. Vampires, witches. You know. Can I ask you really quickly your your, your quick review or just thoughts about um, Queen Shadow? I'm about two thirds of the way through. I don't care about spoilers. Just what did you think of it overall? I thought about it the same way I thought about it as Ahsoka. I thought Ahsoka was better. Oh, definitely uh-huh. better for sure. But but it's just, yeah. it's just I felt like nothing. It was just so like it was just the politics and barely any action happened, and I just felt like that was a little bit of a disservice to like what she does. Like it was very cool about the self stealth way they play politics it's very cool about how they uh go about their business to transition from queen to senator and all the discrepancies and it's interesting the fact that other they're all their names rhymed really annoyed me i'm not gonna lie oh what about the farties i mean but give me a break that's not the point the reality hearing ashley Eckstein say farties especially because ek johnson specifically told her that's not how it's pronounced but she you know ashley being ashley just went ahead and said it and it's it's painful but adorable the padme john chai got very old on the audiobook so i'm actually moving to reading it and enjoying it a lot more um you know ek johnson did a great job with ahsoka but like with ahsoka but even more here she's being asked to fill in 
and tons of character stuff without being able to do tons of plot. Whereas Claudia Gray, they give two Leia books. We get the, we get the towards the end of Leia, and we get the beginning of Leia. Princess of Alderaan. Both are great with Claudia Gray. So I'm very excited about Master and Apprentice because that's Claudia Gray too. And she also did Lost Stars, which I haven't gotten through because it's like a teen romance. But everyone swears is like what the greatest Star Wars book ever. Lost Stars. And it is Claudia Gray. So mm. I'll read it at some point. So yeah. But we should, great, we man. we got to do our our uh, sawathon gin you know our saw gin all all media uh, podcast at some point. But to me, the one I really want to do, it has to happen before nine, which is a lot of time from now, is just a straight up Carrie Fisher Leia episode. It has to happen, must happen. All the books, the movies, the comics, mm. the whole thing. Sure, man. You in? Let's do it. You in? I mean, we have other things. Okay. That, that's, I mean, I like how we add things to our list yes. every time. Yes. From different thoughts yes. and different improvises. Yes. So. All right, buddy. Well, um, uh, Bizzlecast listeners, so if you listen to this, then I'll, we've already released Darksaber and Legacy Mandalore, and then I will release the Mon Mothma episode, which is next, which I recorded, and I'm about to record the droid one after that, and hopefully, Simi, maybe next week, have you on. Um, you know, the question is, and this is the one time I'll let you talk vaguely about it. The question is, is the Avengers going to hit me in the brain so hard to get me off my Star Wars thing right now? Because at the moment, it's seeming like Star Wars is completely untouchable in my own brain, if I'm being introspective. But I'm open to the fact that could change 24 hours from now. No, I don't think it's gonna... It's not like I'm on this crazy Avengers kick and I don't want to have anything to do with Star Wars. I will say that I kind of wish I didn't watch on sunday night i was alluding to this while we were texting i watched uh sunday night game of thrones and it was like this epic episode like arguably one of the best episodes ever mm. and like to go from that epic battle into this epic battle of endgame was mm-hmm. like a lot of epic battles totally. so um and what's great about star said, wars is the epic battles tend to be one-on-one lightsaber fights which is great yeah that being said i think they did a great job though mm. uh both ends mm-hmm. All right, my dude. Well, thank you so much for jumping on the commentary. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I re-listened to... I didn't get through the whole thing, but I was re-listening to Armortis. Um, nice. Clone Wars today. And uh, I, I got to say, man, I said, apparently... So I did say at the beginning of the podcast, I'd, I felt like I had no idea what I was talking about. And I, you made some amazing points over that, but I'm still so confused by Mortis. We might need to do a Mortis revisited when we get to uh, World Between Worlds with Ahsoka. We can connect Mortis with the Ahsoka return in Season 4 World Between Worlds and then the Palpatine connection with the new movie. Because let's be honest, they keep seeding Palpatine stuff in all the properties, right? right so yeah yeah i mean he is the the dude you love to hate so why not awesome all right bizzlecast listeners thank you so much simmy thank you my dude as usual can't wait to keep doing these with you and we're gonna do some clone wars as well at some point you and i should talk about strategizing about getting the clone wars episodes so that we can go back and forth a little bit but for now we're rocking rebels glad you guys are enjoying it out there check out my other star wars podcast recently with simmy jaggy girl and others really appear uh, appreciate you all being on and enjoying it you guys have been awesome i've been the bizzle he's been simmy this has been the bizzle cast may the force be with you but for now the bizzle cast is out <laughs>